you would, turn the Bible to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, this is the fifth vision that Zechariah has seen now here in the Minor Prophets, and we've been walking through it and really excited about this one this morning. Graduating high school is a big deal, graduating college is an even bigger deal, and Graduating in general is, is such a milestone. It, it really feels like, I know what they're feeling like, uh, it really feels like you have crossed such a huge divide and you have gotten to such a, a big place in life where things finally start to change. And um, I thank God for that. I'm excited for you all and where you're at and where you're going. I do, I do want to say that it really seems like just last semester when I was in your position. And time goes by faster than you can imagine. I promise you that. I know that all of us old people say that to you all. <laughs> but it's so true. I mean, it is so true. I've told you all many times, but I remember being in those shoes actually three semesters into college. And my mom and dad telling me that we needed to have a talk because after three semesters of college, my grades weren't any better and my future was not any brighter. And so one summer evening, they asked if we could talk out back, and we sat down, and, you know, like formal family meetings aren't really common, so you know something's coming. And so they asked, what was I thinking? What was my plan? And you guys know, we don't have a plan. So I said, I don't, I don't know. My dad, who's not a man of many words, said, that won't work. You have to have a plan. You have to figure out something, because we're not supporting you for the rest of your life. And it was at that point that I realized I gotta get myself together. I gotta start making some decisions whether I feel like I'm ready for them or not. And I remember that just happening. I feel like that just happened. I'm not kidding, young people, to Elizabeth and Luke and, and Chase. That seemed like that just happened in my life. And now, I'll turn 40 this year. And when I just walked up the stairs to get here to church, I said, oh, my knees and my, my muscles. <laughs> I'm serious, I really did. And, where, and then Chase smarted off to me and said, the reason why you're sore is because I beat you so bad. He didn't. We, didn't. we didn't compete at anything. He's just talking. But time goes by that quickly. And as time is passing by that quickly, you will think then, you'll think halfway through it, and you'll even come back to seasons right now where you think, I'm not sure if I have a plan. There are adults in the room right now who are thinking, I'm not really sure if this is the right plan. There are grandparents in the room right now thinking, I'm not sure if this is the right plan. I don't know if I got enough grip on all that I'm supposed to be and all that I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know if I have enough focus in the right direction or enough money in the bank. And there will be many, many times this summer and in five summers and in 20 summers where you start thinking, I'm not sure if this is what I'm supposed to be doing. That's the way life feels. 
Chase, Luke, and Elizabeth, you're gonna feel that way now, and you're gonna feel that way many more times in the future. And I want you to know that God has not told us, listen, to find a solution to feeling that way. He hasn't. He has never told you at the age of 18 or 28 or 58 to get it all figured out so that you never have an anxious feeling again. He has not. But he has told us in a bunch of promises that he will be your anchor, foundation, security, strength, esteem, confidence, peace, joy, all of that every step of the way. There are many times now where I don't know what I'm doing. There were many times then where I certainly didn't know what I'm doing. I'm thankful for parents who could smack me into trying to figure out what I'm doing. But what I have known from that day until this day is that God would not let me down. God would be with me. That I can trust this isn't a graduation speech by any means. It fits exactly with what is happening here in Zechariah today. Zechariah is a minor, minor prophet at the end of the Old Testament. He's a contemporary of Haggai, the one that comes right before him. And they are now speaking to the exiled people, the captive people of Israel, God's people who have been away from their temple, away from their land, away from everything that looks like God's got us. And now they've been set free and they're coming back. They're trying to reestablish their lives. They're trying to get things back going. They're trying to live as obedient covenant people to God. And yet it's met with so much discouragement. It's met with so much um, challenges, so many challenges, that now God has raised up Zechariah to put, or Haggai to push them into it. Hey, you better get focused on your priorities. And Zechariah to encourage them in this work. In so many ways, that's what I just said to you graduates. That the future's gonna be big and it's gonna be intimidating, but God's got you. And this is the very word that Zechariah gets from God in Zechariah chapter four. Now, he's not necessarily speaking to our current day and the situation of the church, but the application is very real. Depending on where you live in the world, you've got a big different opinion on what's happening with church, right? In some parts of the world right now, it seems like the church is in multiplication exponentially. God is growing the church like crazy in many, many parts of the world. If you go down to South America right now, you see people coming to faith in Christ like crazy. You see God calling people into the pastorate. Guys want to be pastors, and they are starving to be taught so they can go back and teach their congregations. It's an amazing thing. If you've heard our Robbie Hughes, who's in Peru right now, as he's been reporting back to us, what he's seeing in Peru, we are seeing people after people after people come to faith in Christ, pastors being trained, and, and then going back to their churches and seeing people grow. We see that when we go to Ecuador, and we're going again here in a month. The group of our people from our church who are going to Mexico uh, every November, they are seeing that same thing happening there. That's happening. And that even is small, comparatively speaking, to what we see happening in Asia. God is doing something amazing in Asia. 
One person said that in the 19th century, the 18th century, the church was thriving in Europe. In the, 19th, in the 20th century, sorry, in the 20th century, the church was thriving in North America. But in the 21st century, where we live, where we just are getting started, the church is thriving in China. What was happening in England in the 1800s and what happened in America in the 1900s is currently happening right now in the communist country of China as the Bible is being spread, the people are being powered by the Holy Spirit, and people all over the place are growing like crazy for the glory of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Depending on where you look, God is working. But if you look around America at some places, People are getting really discouraged, and they think that, man, the church isn't doing all it's supposed to do. The church isn't lasting like it's supposed to last. And it depends on what parts of it you're looking at. It depends on what you're looking for, and it depends on what you mean in that discouraged opinion. I want to remind you that Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, upon questioning his disciples who Jesus really is, upon their answer that Christ is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus says, that's right. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Bible teaches us that Jesus will never ever be stopped from building his church. Let me say that again. The Bible teaches us that Jesus will never ever be stopped from building his church. Now, at some places, at some times in history, it may look a little more discouraging than encouraging, depending on where we're looking. There are highs and there are lows. There are periods of revival that break out, and then there are periods where it's not. But if you're looking at the whole thing, God cannot be stopped. For one, there is not anybody or anything who is able to stop God. And so if it is God's deal and God's prerogative and God's doing, then it cannot be stopped. There's nobody strong enough to stop him. And that's what Jesus speaks to. So as we take this now to the people of Israel in our Old Testament context, we see them thinking, we may not survive this. We don't have a temple. Worship's not really happening priests aren't doing what priests do? Does God still love us? Is he still our God? And it's here at Zechariah 4 where God gives Zechariah his fifth vision. Let's read it. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. He said to me, what do you see? I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, and the other is on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these things are? I said, no. My Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, 
He shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Do y'all have any idea what this is talking about? Is that confusing? Is that boring? Or does God intend for us to really get something out of it? You know the context. I've been building that up for weeks after weeks now. They're the exiled people. They're being sent back, and they're trying to set up their lives there. And now Zechariah gets a fifth vision, and he sees a lampstand. Sees a lampstand. Well, for those of y'all who don't, don't know, this word lampstand is the same word as menorah, and you're familiar with a menorah, right? This little gold lampstand where it's got all the different things that come out, and you often see them with all the candles on top. Jews use this a lot. This is the very word here. Lampstand means menorah, and so this is what he's seeing. It's all gold. There's a bowl on top of it, seven lamps on it, lips, olive trees there, and oil happening. Here's what it means. All right? Here's what it means. He's seeing the lampstand burning, and the lamp burns from oil. What makes the fire go? It's oil. And what he's seeing is not just a lamp that's burning, but lamp that has oil on top of it supplying the burning, and not just oil on top of it supplying the burning, but two olive trees that are constantly feeding the oil, fueling the oil that keeps this burning. In other words, what he's seeing is that there in the midst of them, the lampstand burns and burns and burns and burns and burns, and it will never, ever go out. It is a continual burning, and he is so encouraged by that. Now, what's encouraging to us is that Zachariah really under, uh, struggles to understand this, right? We have four times in just this passage him saying, what is this, and what is this, and what is this? And if God's man, the prophet, all right, if God's man, the prophet, struggles to understand, then you and I should be encouraged that we, at times, struggle to understand. Listen to this. There is also set before us an example to be imitated here, so that we may not despair when the prophecies seem obscure to us. For when the prophet asked, listen, the angel immediately helped his ignorance. There is therefore no doubt, but that the Lord will supply us also with understanding when we confess that his mysteries are hid from us. And when conscious of our want of knowledge, we flee to him and implore him not to speak in vain to us, but to grant us the knowledge of his truth. The angel's question to the prophet, whether he understood or not, is not to be taken as a reproof of his dullness, listen to that, but as a warning by which he meant to rouse the minds of all to consider the mystery. 
Man, that's good. How many times have you tried to read the Bible and thought, I don't get it, and stopped? Some of you all right now haven't read the Bible on your own in such a long time, and the reason why is because the last time you tried, it didn't really benefit. You didn't really learn anything. It didn't really fire you up. And because of the dullness in us, we're just kind of like, well, I tried. And this commentator here wants us to see that our guy, Zechariah, God's prophet here, didn't understand. He keeps asking four times, what is this? And the angel says, don't you know? And he says, no, I don't know. And four times they have that interchange and God keeps coming back to him and it's totally something that he needs to see, that he needs to understand. Oh, that God's spirit would work in you, that you would say, I want to get it. I want to know God. I want to grow in this hunger. I want to grow in his truth. That you might seek out an article, that you might search online, hey, what does this mean? That you might ask me or ask somebody else here in the church to help you with this. That you might say, I want to get into a Bible study so that you would grow in that. We see this happening here. May it not discourage us, but encourage us when we don't understand something. May we not give up so easily. So we have here that Zechariah sees a lampstand burning in the midst. And there's oil coming to it, a bowl on top supplying the oil to it. And olive trees on the side where they get the oil from the olives. And so the trees are constantly feeding the oil. And so this thing will always, always burn. And you think, well, what does that mean? Well, the key verse is verse 6. Look at verse 6. If you get verse 6, you get the whole chapter. You get the whole vision. Right after he says, do you not know what these things are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This menorah, this lampstand, is a part of the temple. It's a part of the instruction of God of when and how temple worship is to be done. Any Jew would know that. You may not, but any Jew would know that. To see a menorah burning is to thank temple worship. And his vision is of a lampstand continually burning forever. So if the lampstand is continually burning forever, guess what also is going on? Temple worship, worship to God. Worship to God will not be put out. It cannot be stopped. And in the midst of Zechariah and all of the people of Israel, so discouraged because of their disobedience and because of the punishment from God by the hand of the Babylonians that brought them into captivity, rightly so, and now they've been set free and they're trying to get back to the place where they live for God, loving him, worshiping him, trusting him. They're so beat down. They're so discouraged. We're never gonna get to where I'm supposed to be. And you know what happens in the life of, of, of believers? that struggle, and, and many of you, if not all of us, are in this position right now. We know that we're supposed to be better. We're disappointed in our obedience to God, and it's got us so held back. And you start thinking like, I don't know if I can ever get back to reading the Bible. I don't ever know if I can be a Christian that makes a difference. I don't know if I can ever be used by God. I can't live for him. I don't know if I can ever stand up for things that are right because I've done so many different, so many things that I shouldn't have done. I don't know if I can ever get back to being 
obedient, so I'll just keep being disobedient. And we get beat down by things like that. And it's in that very understanding that God gives Zechariah this vision of a lampstand burning. And you know what is the fuel, the source right here in verse six? Not by might. God's message to the people was not first and foremost, you better get back in there and work your butts off and get that temple working. Now, he did give them a pep talk like that in Haggai, but it's not the main thing. Not by power, but by my spirit, is what God says. That the recovery of God's people, that of the perpetuating of the witness and testimony of God, does not depend on our efforts, does not depend on our work. It doesn't depend on our strength or our might or our power. It depends literally on the priority of God and the Holy Spirit of what he is doing. And this is the vision that he gives to Zechariah. And he says, go tell it to Zerubbabel. And right now you may be thinking, who is Zerubbabel? Well, remember, Zechariah and Haggai are contemporaries, and if you were to just, you don't have to, but if you look back right at the beginning of, of Haggai, here's what it says, the very, verse, very first verse of Haggai. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. Zerubbabel is the one in the lineage of King David. That brings to mind that this is God's plan through the family line. That's who Zerubbabel is. He's the governor. And we know that in the last vision right here in Zechariah, it was about Joshua the high priest. So guess what is in our minds now? The office of God of king, the office of God of priest. Zerub Joshua in the last chapter, the high priest, and here Zerubbabel in the kingly line, in the political line, in as the governor. And this message is to come to him that God will not let his church, God will not let his people, God will not let his kingdom fail. Again, Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but this is a comforting promise here to Zechariah and his people that temple worship will be restored and it will go on forever, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And then he asks a humorous question where he says, who are you, O great mountain? Meaning, where's the hill that you think's too big to climb? Where's the mountain that stands in our way? Where's the thing that's holding us back? God asks it as a rhetorical question, meaning there is nothing that stops God. So when you look around and you see the gates of hell looking pretty strong, you see the devil looking pretty strong, you see sin getting in the way, and you see a lot of things of God struggling, if your tendency is to think it's all over, it's not real, it won't last, God says, look a little bit deeper. Who you think sustains this to begin with? Who's brought you thus far? Your own might? What a grace of God. On some level, every one of us limped in here today, knowing that life's hard. And I hope it would not be your boast that you're the one keeping you trusting in Christ. But rather that you've learned that it is the grace of God working in your heart that causes you to keep looking to Jesus. I hope you have not forgotten the principles of the gospel that the holy God has been sinned against by us sinful people but he loves us and sent his son Jesus.
And if you and I turn from our sins and believe in Jesus, he will forgive us from all of our sins. And as you and I are looking to Christ and trusting in Christ, there isn't enough sinning, there isn't big enough sins or small enough sins or an amount of sins that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus for whom the Son has set free, they are free indeed, and you and I have the anchor and the security of Jesus being a true Savior that you and I can trust in. That's not by our might, that's not by our power, that is by the Spirit of God. If you're a Christian here today, and you're still a Christian, it is because the grace of God keeping you. And may this vision here be a fresh vision and reminder to you that on your own strength and power, it looks like this thing may not last. I may not even make it to the finish line. This church may not make it to the finish line. This Christianity that we see in the world may not make it to the finish line. And may this vision be a reminder to you as I'm coupling it with the words of Jesus that he will build his church, that not by might, not by power, but by God's spirit, this lamp will keep burning. It will be always supplied with oil. It will never go out. Perhaps you're here thinking, I'm about to the end of my rope, end of my wick. It's about to go out. You ever tried to light one of those candles that's at the very, very, very bottom? And so you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, and finally it catches. And it flames up, and you walk away for a second, just long enough to put the lighter back where you keep your lighter. And you come back, and the flame's already out, and it's just smoking like that, and you think, what happened? You know, sometimes life feels that way. Sometimes life feels like I'm still going, but barely. I'm still loving Jesus, but I don't know how much longer. The Bible wants you to hear. That will never go out. If, like I said to our graduates, if your hope is not in what you're going to do, but rather in what God has done, if disappointments to yourself are enough to distinguish you, then you have not put your faith in God. For God has taught us that there will be disappointments in life. I hope fewer rather than more. There will be disappointments in life. And we are to hold on to our great God, our Father in heaven, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, who will see us through the storm, who will be with us through the fire, who will be our strength when we are weak. And God God has taught us that in our struggles, in our weakness, he can be glorified and he will give you peace. Zechariah gets this vision, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. He then asks, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain See, what we think is a huge obstacle that will never overcome, never overcome, God can remove that in no time. God can remove that in any way he wants to. How much of our lives have spent in discouragement and worry because we're never there, we're never gonna get there, or this thing's in the way, or it's impossible, it doesn't seem possible, and God just says, what mountain are you talking about? It's about to be a plain. Believe my promises. He shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace, 
to it. What a thought. When they're wondering, is the temple going to be rebuilt? Will temple worship be restored? God says, Zerubbabel started this thing. He's going to finish this thing. He's going to put the final top stone on there. And they're going to be singing grace because they're going to know it's not because they're so great. They've got a history like you and I have a history of not living up to the standard. They have a history like you and I have a history of falling short at times. The Bible says plain and simple, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our status has never been built on how good we are or how much we've done or how often we never fail. It is the testimony of every single one of you all, if you have a testimony, that this sinner cried out to God and he saved me through the work of Christ. And it is us believing and trusting and anchoring in the work of Christ that is our identity. And so the people here are to see that even though they think this temple's not going to be rebuilt, God says it is going to be rebuilt. And it's not going to be based off strictly what you're going to do. It's going to be what my spirit is doing through you. Look at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house... His hand shall also complete it. Notice, they're wondering if it'll ever be rebuilt. They don't know if it will. They got started on the work, and then they got discouraged on the work. Then they quit on the work. Then they said, it's not the right time for us to do the work. Then people come up and told them, you shouldn't be doing that work, right? We've been studying the minor prophets. And God straight up says right here, Zerubbabel the governor started it, and he's going to finish it. And he does. Comforting to them. Now look at verse 10. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. And I know y'all don't like it that the Bible says this, but it does. Have you despised the day of small things? Have you stopped reading your Bible and now all you read are devotionals that are telling you that the home run's coming? Have you stopped reading the the daily parts of the Bible and you're looking for the devotionals that just continue to hit the Philippians 4.13s that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? Have you started despising the small things because they don't seem to be as glorious as the people with the Instagram accounts that look like everything's great? The Bible warns us straight up right here. Don't despise the small things. The day in and day out of getting your rest, doing your job, knowing your role, being in your place, serving the Lord well, keeping it clean, taking out the trash, feeding their mouths, providing for them, being there, being present, being faithful, doing your job. Do you hate that? Do you think that Christianity is only when God sends the fireworks and it looks like you've got a miracle? No. You know what it takes to rebuild the temple after you've been slaves in a pagan country? It takes a lot of people putting on boots, getting their hands dirty, and going to work. And you know what? It's not real pretty. It's not real fun. No big parties. No big awards. We don't hear about any bonus paychecks. We don't hear about any amazing vacations. But you know what's happening in the midst of all of that duty and responsibility and faithfulness. You know what's happening? God is being worshiped as the people of God are in the small things, 
restoring back the presence of God in the house of God for the glory of God as the people are now worshiping God in the way that God told them to worship. It's the small things. Folks, don't despise the small things. If you're a man and the life God has given you is to go to bed earlier than the kids every night, wake up earlier than the kids every morning, go to work every single day, come home tired every day, and keep providing for the family, rejoice in it. That's a small thing, but it's a huge thing. If you're a mom and it's your responsibility to just continue being there for the kids, having their back, loving on them, those are the small things. If you're a single person and you're thinking, man, all I do is just walk the straight and narrow and everybody thinks I'm a goody-goody and I ain't doing what everybody else is doing. I ain't out there having fun, partying it up. And for the record, let me go ahead and say, if you're a single person and a young person individual and you're gonna claim to follow Christ, your life needs to be set apart. If this line's getting too muddy of how you're living for Jesus, that I can't tell the difference or nobody can tell the difference between the people that know God and the people that don't, that ain't living for Jesus. It is the small things to live the obedient, simple, and faithful life. If everybody else wants to stay out till three in the morning losing their minds and not living sober-minded, I'd wanna be as normal as can be in bed by 11 or 12 reading my books than I would want to be disobedient to God and despising the small things. Do not let our church, do not let your commitment to Christ start to hate the small things so much that now you're just trying to be like everybody else that does not have a commitment to Christ, forgiveness of sins and joy in their hearts. The Bible here warns those that despised the small things will rejoice, meaning they will see the reward of it. They will see the fruit from it. They will see that God could be believed. God could be trusted. God could be able to do all that he said he would do and the reward would come. Don't despise those things. You will see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Now look here. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. And now we've seen this many times in the Bible and I just want to keep saying this. When the Bible uses the number seven, it's talking about completion, like perfection. When it's talking about eyes, it's talking about God's ability to be able to see everything at all times. I know that sounds weird when you see seven eyes looking everywhere, but all it's meaning there is that God is able to see everything. It's the number of perfection with God being able to see. God perfectly sees everything everything. That's a comfort to them. God sees everything that's going on with them in captivity, with them coming back to their homeland, with all the struggles they're going through, and he still gives them promises. God knows of every obstacle that they've got, every hurdle that they're going through, every bit of suffering that they're in, and he still promises them, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, this will happen. He will. Verse 11, then I said to him, now for the third time, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And the second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches? So here he asked the same question twice, back to back in a row. What are these things? Which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out. So again, the olive trees are feeding the oil, fueling the oil into the bowls that fuel the menorah, that keep it burning always. But he asked twice, what are these? And in verse 13, the angel representing God says, do you not know what these are? And he said, 
I said, no, my Lord. And then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now, I'm not really sure what those two are. Could be something super wild like in the end times, representing two of the biggest figures. But if I had to guess, I'm gonna say it's referring to Zerubbabel and Joshua. It's gonna refer to the high priest and it's gonna refer to the one in the kingly line, the governor. And it's speaking to, listen, it's speaking to, listen to me, God's faithful people by grace, by the power of the spirit, being what God uses to keep it going. You get that? It's not God's people that are keeping it going in and of themselves. You would never think that from the vision. You know that it's the oil. You know that it's the bowl feeding the oil, feeding the menorah. And you know that it's the olive trees doing that. But what I think he's saying here is that by the faithfulness is God's power and grace and spirit working in his people, God uses people in his economy to cause God's plan to keep going. And that's a beautiful thing. So here's what I'm saying. God doesn't need any of us to accomplish what God's gonna do, but he will use his people. God's people will be obedient and he will use them. God's people will be disobedient and he will stop using them and he'll start using other people. But God will use his people to accomplish all that he's trying to do. When Jesus says in the New Testament, who do y'all say that I am? Well, first he asks, Who's everybody saying that I am? I'm still talking about the same passage in Matthew. Who does everybody say that I am? And they answered up and they said, man, people got all kinds of opinions about you now, Jesus. Some people say Jeremiah. Some people say um, Elijah. Some people are saying one of the other prophets. They're all over the place with you, Jesus. Pretty common to today. Everybody's got an opinion on Jesus. And Jesus speaks up and says, okay, but who do y'all say that I am? Peter speaks up and says, you're the Christ. You are the savior of the world. You are the son of the living God. Jesus says, you're exactly right. And you didn't learn that on your own. My father revealed that to you. And it is upon this rock that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stop it. Regardless of how it looks, God is working. He is working on a big scale through his kingdom. He's working on a big scale through the churches that make up his kingdom. And he is working on a smaller scale in your life if you are a believer in him. If you are a follower of Christ, trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins, then God wants you to know, do not despise the small things. Be faithful and obedient to whatever he has you in. Understand that his promises and power are on you and he is working through you. And then we see here at the end, the very last verse of this chapter, of this vision, after he asks two times in a row, for the fourth time, what is this? It is two anointed ones who stand by the Lord. Again, I'm not real sure on what that is. Some of this is hard. And as I've already read, we can be encouraged when we don't understand it. But we can seek, seek the Lord on it. But I do think it refers to Individuals that are in this context, Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor, meaning that it is through God's people that he keeps this going. That's Zechariah 4. That's the fifth vision, and it is to be a huge encouragement. I do want to ask you to turn here now at the very end as I show you one more thing from Revelation chapter 1. 
If you would turn there, final book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. We have a lot of questions answered in this book. The book begins, though, with God's, Christ's apostle John in exile. So that hits home a little bit with what we're talking about in Zechariah. In an island called Patmos, in slavery, there by himself left to die. He does not escape. The apostle dies there on that island, being persecuted for his commitment to Christ. God gives John this singular one-time revelation, and here it is Jesus appearing to him and giving him this vision. He is to write it down, and then now we have it. But I want to show you something that will shed light on what we just read. We're going to start reading at verse 12. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Everybody see that? Same word used in Zechariah. Now, I'm not saying they saw the same thing. I'm not saying they mean the same thing. But it is the same thing that they're seeing, lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, okay, what does in the midst mean? Right in the center of, right? Everybody got that? So he sees seven lampstands, and in the middle of them, he sees something else. Okay, what does he see? One like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. That is one impressive figure, is it not? That's why John fell down on his feet as though dead. But he, in his mercy as the lion and the lamb, strong and victorious as a lion, kind and as gracious as a lamb, as he saw that figure, he falls down. And the Bible says that that figure, making us think of Thanos or something like that, that figure reaches down and puts his hand on John and says, don't be afraid. Do you see that? The biggest, strongest figure here puts his hand on John. Y'all know who that person is, right? Jesus. He is seeing Jesus in his power and might. Well, what's the promise in Zechariah 4? Not by your power, not by your might, but by my spirit. If you for a second have become so discouraged in your faith that you've forgotten that God is able to take care of you, God will finish what he started, that God can be trusted, then you just need a fresh vision of the glory and power and strength of God. He can be trusted with every worry. Elizabeth, Chase, Luke, I don't know what next year's gonna bring. I hope that it's awesome. It may be terrible. We all, all of us adults can tell you high schoolers, the future is not certain. The one who holds it is. 
He is like this. This warrior, this lion, lamb, king, Jesus, stands in the midst of the lampstands. So we ask, what are the lampstands, right? Look at verse 20. God tells us. He doesn't want us to be confused. Look at verse 20. As for the mystery, so it is confusing. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And look at this. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And what does seven mean? Just complete and perfect. It just means the church. So listen, in this vision of the church, seven churches just means the church, in the midst of this vision of the church that he will build and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, guess what he sees standing in the midst of it? This guy, the warrior, the one who speaks and it's like power, the one who you look at and it's strong as can be, the one who touches you like a gentle giant full of grace, but you know for a second you can trust him. He will not let you down. Whether these lampstands connect to the lampstands in Zechariah, I have no clue to be honest. But when I heard Zechariah viewing the lampstands about the power of God, we'll make sure they get back to temple worship. And I remembered that Revelation 1 has the lampstands with our King Jesus standing in the midst of the church, I knew that we would be strengthened. So our commentator says this, when therefore we now see things in a despairing condition, let this vision come to our minds. Isn't that awesome? An hour ago, we would have said, that Zechariah 4 ain't helping me at all. But he says this, let this vision come to our minds that God is sufficiently able by his own power to help us. When there is no aid from anybody else, for his spirit will be to us for lamps, for pourers, for olive trees, so that experience will at length show that we have been preserved in a wonderful manner by his hand. May your family, may your marriage, may your father, son, mother, son, father, daughter, mother, daughter, may your relationships, may your friendships last. And when they get long, may you say, by the grace of God, he kept us. He has kept us. May the church know We will get there. The church is the people. We will get there. Limping as we might, we will get there. And when we do, we will know he got us there. He kept us thus far. May your hope and faith and trust be not in your plans, but in the power of God working in you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the vision. Thank you for Zechariah 4, the fifth vision. Lord, thank you that Jesus is that awesome. Oh, Father, may we trust in you.
Father, may we believe this. May your Holy Spirit cause us to believe this. We ask for your help and your strength. We pray, God, that the graduates would cling to you. We pray for us that graduated a long time ago, but that we would keep clinging to you, but that we would see that it's your Holy Spirit keeping us. Father, do that work. In Jesus' name we pray.